You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to... Fundamentally Mormon, today is the 17th day of August 2021. The guest call in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And the chat room hopefully is open at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon. Tonight we're going to be reading The Key to the Manifesto, Part 2 of Chapter 15 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. Will be on pages 258 through 277. You can read this text at ogdenkraut.com. 
click on read Ogden's books and then scroll down to Holy Priesthood Volume 6, starting on page 258, or you can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. I uh, posted the text for the reading tonight there and also at Zion's Redemption Radio Network, which is a page on Facebook that you can follow. All right, Kim and Emmett, are you both there? And who is doing the reading tonight? I am uh, here, I'm but here. I am not uh, ready to read, so I am stalling, or you are stalling. <laughs> and uh, Emmett's okay. going to begin the reading because I'm not ready yet. And um, I am I have been already past the house, but I needed to stop at the post office. Oh, okay. And I think you know why, so I had to do that. Okay, yep. So Emmett is right, going Emma, to start reading. Yep. What uh, page are we on in Enzyme to the Nations? Um, I think we are on page 1010. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Also, somebody needs to do the prayer. I'll do the prayer. Or you can if you want, Kim. No, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I guess she's going into the post office. All right, so I'll, I'll I'll dedicate the program, and then Emmett will start the reading. So I'll just mute myself right after the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee, Father, this day for forgiving us of our sins and our transgressions, that we may have thy spirit to be with us, that we may learn truth, that we may be tools in thine hand to bring about Zion's redemption. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for the opportunity to have this worldwide radio ministry. And we're thankful for TV radios and being able to communicate on them even when we don't want to hear what they have to say. We thank you for thy sense of humor as well. And I'm really thankful, Father, for revealing that part of yourself with me. And I'm thankful for the atonement of Jesus Christ and for the prophet Joseph Smith. And we dedicate our time, our talents, and our labors unto thee. We do so in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. You ready, Emmett? Um, Yes and no. (laughs) Okay, so we're on page 278. I just have to find where that is. <laughs> no, we're on page 258, and we're reading to page 277. Yeah, I know what I said. I said the wrong thing. <laughs> That's fine. I'll just correct you. It's like, you know when you're saying something but thinking about something else? It was sort of like that. I do that all the time. Anyway, okay. uh, well, do you have the, the studio m- open, or do you have the uh, chat yeah. room open? Okay. I do that all the time, uh, too. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah, like yeah. you're trying to say something, but you're thinking about something else, so you say both the things at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and y'all laugh at me when I do it because I do it so often. And you say the wrong thing, though, like completely weird, the wrong thing. I know, <laughs> but you guys know what I'm talking about, so <laughs> you understand my language. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself. Go ahead, Emmett, with the reading. Okay. Uh, Peach, I'm just going to start at, like, the beginning of this paragraph, because it's in the middle of the paragraph. Start with the American dream of Atlanta. Oh, is that the wrong one? Wait, what? I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I I think I have the wrong page. (laughs) Uh, The American dream of the land of freedom had turned into a nightmare of tyranny. Do you have that? Oh, yeah, that's what I have. Yeah, so that's that's where you start, because that's where we're starting at. Okay, whatever. (laughs) The American dream of a land of freedom had turned into a a nightmare of tyranny. It had become so corrupt that many states wanted to secede, while Utah was trying to join. For their devotion to the Constitution, the saints in this area were rewarded with persecution and imprisonment. In a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde performance, the lovely Lamb of Liberty had turned into a ravenous wolf. Instead of a military force to defend the Mormons, the U.S. government sent an army out to destroy them. And now we're on page 259. Anything to say? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to keep reading. I will... I will interrupt you if I have something to say. Okay. Okay. Actually, I'm here now, so if you want me to just read, then I can do that. I'm I thought you were at the post office. In a couple of pages. I was. Um, yeah, and I just need him, you know, the kids to do the, like, take all the stuff out of the vehicle and make sure it's ready for me to bring the girls to school tomorrow and... I have to make sure that, you know, they did all the other stuff they were supposed to do. So, but I can do the reading. Okay. Well, um, Emmett can read for a little bit until you get all situated and comfortable, and then you can read. So let him read another page or two. Yeah, and then I'll mute myself again. Okay. I'm going to keep reading now. If ever the Lord wanted to cleanse a nation, it was this one, and it certainly needed it. The Lord pleaded with the saints to help him, or to let him fight their battles. In 1880, he revealed to Wilford Woodruff, And what I, the Lord, say unto you, mine apostles, I also say unto my servants, the seventies, the high priests, the elders, the priests, and all my servants who are pure in heart, and who have borne testimony unto the nations. Let them go forth and cleanse their feet in pure water and bear testimony of it unto the Father who is in heaven. And then saith the Lord unto mine apostles and mine elders, When ye do these things with purity of heart, I, the Lord, will hear your prayers and am bound by oath and covenant to defend you and fight your battles. Journal of Wilford Woodruff, January 25th, 1880. And in 1889... Yep, 
So that was the 1880 revelation given to Wilfred Woodruff from Jesus Christ. There's four revelations that the church is hiding from the people. Actually, there's five because Section 110 used to be a different revelation. But anyway, but in the 1880s, there were four different revelations where God was telling them not to give up plural celestial marriage or give in to the Gentiles, and they didn't listen, so they're sad. Anyway, so, um, yeah, like, that's a revelation that God gave to the church, and they didn't listen. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Continuing on. And in 1889, about one year before issuing the manifesto, President Wilford Woodruff, Wilford Woodruff was again told by the Lord, Place not yourselves in jeopardy to your enemies by promise. Your enemies seek your destruction and the destruction of my people. If the saints will hearken unto my voice and the counsel of my servants, the wicked shall not prevail. Let my servants who officiate as your counselors before the courts make their pleadings as they are moved upon by the Holy Spirit without any further pledges from my priesthood. 1889 Revelation to Wilford Woodruff, uh, Salt Lake City, as recorded in Revelations 1880-1890. Pioneer Press, page 64. That is also a long quote. (laughs) Uh, Page 260. So the Lord had given Wilford Woodruff plain instructions on how he would fight their battles if they made no more promises or pledges to their enemies, the U.S. government. But the pressures from within the church, as well as without, were too great, and Wilford Woodruff made plans to compromise with the government. He defended his or his action of issuing the manifesto by claiming a revelation that showed him the confiscation and loss of all the temples and the stopping of all the ordinances therein, both for the living and the dead, and the imprisonment of the first presidency and twelve and the heads of families in church in the church, and the confiscation of all personal property of the people. Deseret News, November seventh. 1891, as quoted in Way of the Master, Marky Peterson, page 48. At one time, Woodruff was saying that the Lord promised to fight their battles, and then, ten years later, he was saying that the Lord couldn't win those battles. According to him, these two revelations seem to contradict each other, and uh, revelation doesn't do that. That's kind of funny. On the other hand, he was also shown that if they did give up the practice of plural marriage, that massive apostasy would occur in the church, and the members would take up the the ways of the world, the Lord gave him and the saints their free agency with two options, the majority voting to choose the easy path. The Gentiles are always looking for a chance to do battle with the saints, but in 1890, the saints gave up before the battle had really begun. In the process of making this radical change in church doctrine, President Wilger further justified himself by saying, The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It is not in the program. It is not in the mind of God. DNC 1982 edition, or editorial maybe, uh, page 296, or 292, following the manifesto. DNC... Yeah, DNC 1982 edition, page 292, following the manifesto. So, um, 
Hold on here. Uh, oh, and by the way, it was 10 years later, not 10 minutes later. You read minutes for some reason. Um, so if Brigham Young was still alive when Wilfred Woodruff taught this hot, steaming pile of crap about how he could never lead the church astray, he would probably punch him right in the face, <laughs> if I know anything about Brigham Young, because... Um, the, the leaders of the church can lead you astray. Uh, there's a prophet in the book of Kings that tests another prophet, and the other prophet fails the test. And uh, he has to pay a severe consequence for failing the test that God tested the one prophet with the other prophet, whatever. But that also contradicts former uh, former teachings of the presidents of the church. So um, I know that they like to say that they can't lead you astray, but what I like to say is, okay, if that's true, from 1844 until 1877, Brigham Young was in charge. He taught blood atonement, which is no longer taught in the church. He taught the law of adoption, which is no longer taught in the church. He taught the doctrine of rebaptism, which is no longer taught in the church. But the biggest one that he taught, which the church freaks out about today, is the Adam God doctrine, which he did teach. And many other leaders of the church did teach as well. And people got excommunicated if they did not believe in the Adam God doctrine and they spoke against it which is a matter of history, factual history. So let me ask the saints out there who are listening. Did Brigham Young lead the church astray when he taught the Adam God doctrine? Or did Bruce R. McConkie, Marky Peterson, Spencer W. Kimball, and all of the lot of them, Heber J. Grant, all these guys, did they lead the church astray when they contradicted the former revelation? Now, Brigham Young taught it. So you can't have it both ways. If a leader can't lead the church astray, and Brigham Young taught the Adam-God doctrine, and it is one of the seven deadly heresies, as Bruce R. McConkie claims, then obviously the root of the church, or the chunk of the church, was corrupted long before the branches formed. Branches being the other apostles in our in our modern age. The ones who are telling you that Brigham Young led the church astray is false doctrine. So if they, if he led the and race in the priesthood, that's another one. If Brigham Young was telling the truth, he did not lead the church astray, but the people, the leaders today, do lead the church astray. Now, if Brigham Young was leading the church astray at that time with these false doctrines, then they can't claim that they can't lead you astray because he did, and he was president of the church longer than any of the rest of them. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay. Um, what was after that quote? Okay. Quoted in... Oh, man, I lost where I was at. Uh, yeah, it was the editorial quote. In other words, he was saying that the Lord was taking away the free agency of a man by forcing him to be good, 
just because he was a church president. Why didn't the Lord do the same thing to Joseph Smith? Compare what he told the prophet. Behold, thou art Joseph, and thou wast chosen to do the work of the Lord. But because of transgression, if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall, except thou do this, repent. Thou shalt be delivered up and become as other men, and have no more gift. D&C, section 3, verses 9 and 11. And now I, or now verily I say unto Joseph Smith, uh, June, uh, Junior, you have not kept the commandments and must need stand rebuke before the Lord. DNC section 93, uh, verse 47. Well, that's another thing, too. DNC section 3, I think it is, that you just quoted. Uh, the Lord's anointed, the prophet Joseph Smith, if he wasn't obedient, he could fall. So tell me again how these guys who are leading the church today can't fall or can't lead the church astray. If they don't do what God has asked them to do or commanded them to do, they can fall. And I can quote for years and years and years doing these radio shows all of the ways the church has changed. And the biggest one is there's no united orders. The 16 million members of the church, billions and billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars in assets and stocks and bonds and all the other things, and not one united order, and they're not going to give up their wealth. These guys are not going to give up their wealth. They know in the scriptures it says, if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. And it is not given for man to own that, or for one man to own that which is above another. Uh, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. But they don't care. They don't care. It's become a money-making cult, a Babylonian business organization, the corporation of the first presidency. And it's all about money, power, wealth, and fame. That's all it's about. That's all it's, and, and they're not doing what God has asked them to do. So if Joseph Smith could fall because he wasn't doing what God asked him to do, what in the world do these other guys, they, they say they can't fall, that, you know, you have to follow them. Let me just say one thing. In 2010, Bill Gates had a conference which you can watch online, it's called Innovate to Zero, wherein he talked about depopulation of the earth using vaccinations and healthcare. And he said if we do a really good job using healthcare and vaccines, we can reduce the population 10 to 15%. 10 to 15% of 7 billion people is 700 million to 1.5 billion people dead because of vaccination. And now he's the one who wants to give you all these vaccinations and pushing this propaganda. And it's all about depopulation of the earth because the more resource, or the more people there are, the more resources have to be you know, and the more carbon uh, output, 
So global warming. So they want to kill one point, and that was in 2010. But now they they uh, you know they've got this this uh, scourge released from Wuhan, China, which Dr. Fauci has uh, great big old ties to. And by the way, Dr. Fauci is on the board of uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that that does these uh, vaccines and stuff. You know, he's got a conflict of interest in his job and being on these private boards pushing this propaganda. And uh, they've already said that they want to reduce the population of the planet. And Rusty M. Nelson goes and he says, everybody needs to get the vaccine. Well, what about people that can't get the vaccine? People are going to listen to Rusty because he's the president of the church, and they're going to go ahead and get a vaccine when they should not get that vaccine. They should ask God if they should get it and get personal revelation for themselves. But, you know, because the leader of the church can never lead you astray, a lot of people are going to do what the church president says, and they will die uh, directly because they are being obedient to the leaders of the church. It is happening, and it is going to continue to happen. A true Christian wouldn't have anything to do with the vaccines because in order to come up with these vaccines, they have to, uh, there's like uh, (laughs) layers and layers and layers of research where they have taken aborted stem cells from aborted fetuses to uh, to to develop these uh, vaccines and change your RNA and um, just that alone uh, makes all these pro-lifers in the church guilty of the murder of the unborn and a true Christian wouldn't have anything to do with that but Russell M. Nelson is going to push world propaganda because he is the false prophet of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that lifts himself above the throne of God in the temple of God, and that's who he is. The man has a black heart. And you know what? People can turn this off. I don't really care. The man has a black heart. He is not a servant of God. He is a servant of Satan himself. And Babylonian businessmen have hijacked the church. And I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Anyway, go ahead, Emmett, and uh, I'll mute myself again. Okay. Um, page 262, I think. Yeah. The, bo- the vote in support of this motion, accepting the manifesto, oh, was nearly unanimous. Oh, your horses. I think that you're being chosen to do the work of the Lord, the president of the church, or holding the keys of the priesthood. I, I think that's where you were. Um, no, because I had finished that, and I was on the next page. I interrupted you right after you... 
read that last DNC section 93, so stop trying to skip stuff. Okay. Being chosen to do the work of the Lord, being president of the church, or holding the keys of the priesthood are no guarantees of infallibility and exaltation, nor do they protect one from sin, loss, free agency, or loss of priesthood keys. Also printed as an addendum after the manifesto was the following statement by President Wilford Woodruff. The Lord has told me to ask the Latter-day Saints a question regarding the manifesto, and he also told me that if they would listen to what I said to them and answer the question put them or put to them by the spirit and power of God, they would all answer alike, and they would all believe alike with regard to this matter. DNC 1982 editorial, page 292. But when presented with this question during the October General Conference of 1890, uh, the saints did not all answer alike or believe alike, it is very evident from the following six reports. Uh, page 262. The vote in support of this motion, accepting the manifesto, was nearly unanimous. Uh, correlated History of the Church, uh, Volume 6, page 222, as printed in Deseret News Weekly, October 11, 1890. When the manifesto was read to the assembled saints, silence prevailed until someone from the gallery called for a second reading. After this request was granted, Quorum of the Twelve, President Lorenzo Snow, moved that the declaration be accepted as authoritative and binding. Many of the thousands in attendance abstained from voting. Mormon polygamy a History, Richard Van Wagner, page 145. Mariner W. Merrill noted in his 6th of October diary that the motion was carried by a weak voice but seemingly unanimous. Uh, also from that last quote on the same page. So, yeah, Mormon Polygamy, A History, Richard Van Wagner, page 145. I don't know why they mentioned it like that because it's the IBID thing. But they said it was on the same page, even though that was the exact same quote. I thought it a very slim vote, considering the multitude assembled. Uh, Thomas Broadbent Diary, page 24. There were some of the people that did not vote. Heber J. Grant Journal, October 6th of 1890. Although official accounts of this meeting of October 6, 1890, state that the congregation voted unanimously to sustain the manifesto, that was not the case. William Gibson, later a representative in the Utah legislature, voted against it. The majority of the congregation refused to vote at all, and when the, or at all when the manifesto was presented. Uh, LDS Church Authority and New Plural Marriages, 1890 to 1904. Michael Quinn, Dialogue, uh, 18, uh, Chapter 18, Verse 1, maybe page 18, uh, Volume 18 of spring of the 1985, page 48. Wow. <laughs> and why was the voting not unanimous? Could it have been that most of the saints recognized that the manifesto was not a revelation from God, but only a means of making peace with the government? Certainly, certainly they could tell that the wording of this proclamation was not from God. 
he is not even mentioned in the five paragraphs of this official declaration. And the second paragraph begins with, I therefore as president of the church declare, which plainly identifies the person who is issuing this document. But interestingly enough, Wilford Woodruff himself was not even the true author. He had several other brethren help him with it, or helping him with it, similar to a politician hiring a speechwriter to assist with an important address during an election campaign. Two major sources explaining more about the real authorship of the manifesto are included here. First, a letter from Thomas Roster, and second, excerpts from the Reed Smoot hearings. And now we're on page 263, and I'm going to read this letter. Uh, The top right corner says Salt Lake City, Utah, August 4th of 1956. Um, Mr. Robert C. Newson, Salt Lake City, Utah. Dear Brother Newson, in in response to your inquiry as to authorship of the Manifesto of 1890, the following events which occurred on my mission to England and Wales during 1907 and 1908 might give you a satisfactory answer. Should anyone be interested, I have also made the statement in the form of a sworn uh, affidavit, which was made and placed on file in 1935. The following is a true and correct statement on a, of an occurrence that transpired in Bristol, England on November 16th, 17th, and 18th in the year of 1907 while I was on an LDS mission in that country. By request of Charles W. Penrose, I was transferred from Nottingham Conference to Wales, my birthplace, to finish the rest of my mission at this time. So on the dates named above, I was with President R.J. Smith of the Welsh District, visiting saints and investigators in Bristol during those three days. Page 264. President R.J. Smith said to me, I am glad to have you with me as I see that you have a strong testimony and an implicit faith in God. With our faith and prayers, Brother Rosser, I desire you to go with me and testify of the knowledge and testimony which you have of the gospel. We have one peculiar case here. The investigator believes in every principle of the gospel but plural marriage. Perhaps through the help of the Lord, we can convince her that this is a true principle. I would like to have her baptized before the coming conference. We then went to this sister's home, and I was introduced to the lady by Elder Smith. After missing, or after a few passing remarks, remarks, she said to us, Brethren, I am ready for baptism. Brother Smith was much surprised, as well as myself. He then said, What has now taken place? She then answered, Brethren, only yesterday... While doing my washing out there in the porch, I heard the voice of the Lord saying that plural marriage is true and was instituted from before the foundation of the world. Brethren, I am 55 years old. I don't expect to enter the principle, to enter the principle. But nevertheless, I know it's true. Upon hearing this, Brother Smith and I left, rejoicing because of the testimony she had borne to us. Then, or I then left for treachery, Wales. Uh, Triorachi, I can't pronounce that, my birthplace, and labored there until May 23rd of 1908. 
I went back to Bristol, my headquarters, to confess or to a conference which was held Sunday, May 24th of 1908. On Monday morning, the 25th, our conference priesthood meeting was held, which lasted four hours and a half. After the preliminary exercises, President Charles W. Penrose asked if any of the brethren had any questions on their mind, and if so, to present them up now before he delivered his message to us. Up went my hand. All right, he said, page 265. President Penrose, I said, I have heard much discussion on the principle of floral marriage. Some saying that it is withdrawn from the earth and that the manifesto was a revelation from God. Dear President, what about this case? I then related to him the testimony of the sister which was written above. And then I asked him, why should she receive this testimony if God has withdrawn the principle from the earth? And the manifesto is a true revelation from God. President Penrose then rose to his feet, scratched the side of his head with his right hand for a moment or so, then stretched out his right hand towards us and said, Brethren, I will answer you that question. If you'll keep it under your hats, I, Charles W. Penrose, wrote the manifesto with the assistance of Frank J. Cannon and John White. It's no revelation from God, for I wrote it. Wilford Woodruff signed it to beat the devil at his own game. Brethren, how can God withdraw an everlasting principle from the earth? He has not and cannot, and I testify to you as a servant of God that this is true. The reason the statement is given is because I have heard so much discussion as to whether or not the Manifesto of 1980 is a revelation from God. And I so wish to relate herewith the understanding given to us by President Charles W. Penrose. Manifesto of 1890 is a revelation from God. Oh. Yeah, you said, yeah, you uh, said 18, or you said 1980. It's 1890. Uh, yeah, except for, well, I did say that, but like, yeah, it was in 1980, except for the fact that it was almost 100 years before that. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, the Manifesto of 1890 is a revelation from God, and so I wish to relate here with the understanding given to us at the Bristol Conference by President Charles W. Penrose on May 25th of 1908. Sincerely, your brother, uh, Thomas J. Rosser, it's his signature. And now we're on page 266. That's the end of the letter. Anything to say, Dad? Because that was a long thing. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, they did, um, they were trying to get the devil off their back. Instead of allowing God to fight their battles for them, they decided to do something which was not commanded which was to try to play the devil's game and try to lie. And you don't beat the devil by lying. You beat beat the devil by standing up for principles of truth. And even if you lose your life, you still win eternal life. So it shouldn't matter on an eternal uh, spectrum. But this was their test, and they did not pass it. And... uh, well, it is what it is. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay. Man, <laughs> this roster letter was, was of great interest to 
Kenneth Godfrey, or Goodfrey, who managed or who mentioned it in an article he wrote for Dialogue, wherein he also quoted from a letter to him from Dean C. Jesse of the Church of the Historical Department. The Church Historical Department. The article states, it has frequently been asserted by the so-called fundamentalists that the manifesto was not a revelation at all. In support of this view, Thomas J. Rosser tells the following story. From Rosser's letter was included here. Included here. Um, included here. In a letter to the author, Kenneth Godfrey, uh, Dean, Dean C. Jesse, uh, a member of the church historian staff wrote, your reference to a meeting in uh, treachery, or that place in Wales that I can't say, at which Charles W. Penrose allegedly stated that he wrote the manifesto in the reference to the Wolf testimony in the Smoot proceedings where he claims that John H. Smith, uh, Henry Smith, told him that the manifesto was a trick to, uh, to beat the devil at his own game are both frequently used quotations of the fundamentalists. In checking this matter, the church has no minutes of a meeting in uh, that place in Wales on May 25th of 1908. Neither do we have a journal of the Charles W. Penrose, aside from the statements in fundamentalist literature. Um, aside from the statements in fundamentalist literature. I have been unable to find any reference to this meeting in Wales or anything that would verify the Wolf testimony in the Smoot investigation. Um, to my knowledge, there is no written revelation upon which the manifesto was based. Uh, O.S. Dean C. Jesse, The Coming of the Manifesto, Kenneth Godfrey, uh, Dialogue, uh, Five, or chapter 5, volume 3, verse 3, whatever, of autumn of 1970, page 20. Apparently, the church's historian's office staff, or the church historian's office staff, had not been informed that the conference referred to was not held in that place in Wales, but in Eastville, Bristol, as explained in the Millennial Star. Minutes of the Bristol Conference. The Bristol Semiannual Conference was held May 24th, 1908, in the Wolseley Hall, Eastville, Bristol, page 267. There were present, uh, there were present, President Charles W. Penrose, President C. G. Jarman, and 24 traveling elders of the Bristol Conference. Uh, 24. I keep like reading, and you know when you like read and you go to the next part of the page. Like you have to go to the end of the page and go back. I keep reading and messing up where I said that at, or was reading at. Uh, and twenty-four Didn't Mom traveling say that elders. She was going to be reading or something. Where'd she go? I think she's upstairs right now. Uh, uh, okay. Wow. She might be outside. Uh, okay. I guess you can keep reading until Mom finally. Finally gets around to figuring out what she's doing. She probably got distracted by something that she needed to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so what it is, well, and we will broadcast this, okay? What it is is that, that the, the list. Okay, so you know how, and we'll let the whole world know, I'm a little bit of a micro-organizer, and I've been <laughs> micromanaging my kids and trying to make lists so that the school year will work out correctly, and I made these lists. I put 
you know, like meal plans on the board, um, the itinerary. I've got the girls' clothes, everything ready. I've had this, you know, we've been talking about it for probably three weeks. I actually went into action last week, and then we told them, you know, what they have to do. And we we give our kids cell phones, so that is supposed to be the way by which I text and say, hi, what are you doing right now? What should you be doing? And have you done this yet? You know? Um, So today while I was doing all of this, because I am actually back at work during the day um, and the kids were not. So they were supposed to have these lists of chores that they were supposed to have done. Not difficult chores, really easy, you know, walk out and do this, you know, make sure that gets switched around like the laundry or something like do something quick, not fold and put away laundry. Just take it out of one machine and put it to another. So this isn't hard. We don't live in a third world country. We have machines that do things. They just have to push the buttons on the machines and make them work, right? So my kids did not do that today. So when I came back here and um, I need to have the little girls asleep in about 15 minutes, they won't be. Their clothes weren't set out like they were supposed to. The dinner wasn't done like it was supposed to be done. Um, Nothing that was in the plan was done. So now I come home and I'm trying to make up for all of the things that everybody did not do today that they were supposed to do. And that's what makes my life so busy. It's not hard to do. It just takes more time than what I can do on my own. So the distraction is the stuff didn't get done. And Emmett knows this because he's downstairs in the office doing what, what I was going to do, what he wants to do. Um, and yeah, the things just aren't, they weren't done. So that's what's going on right now and I am trying to get the girls clothes laid out so that tomorrow morning isn't really difficult to do um yep I have to shower uh the girls they did not you know take a shower I had to do the baby when I walked through the door because somebody didn't change him they said that they were missing wipes or something so then yeah so that's what's going on and uh yeah I do have always excuses I don't understand I you know like it's so weird, and like, okay, so we're going on a little tangent here. Yeah, this is a tangent. It's so, so easy to see the stuff that needs to be done, and they just refuse to see it. Yeah. You know, like, like you can I point didn't it notice. out to them. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize that the baby's diaper was falling off. Really? Well, it was poopy. It I wasn't didn't realize up, but it was that, like he needed to be changed. Yeah, but I, there has been times when <laughs> I've woken up and, you know, you're, you've been Shower. doing your work schedule, doing the thing that you need to do, and I wake up around 2 or 3 or whatever, and the first thing I see is the baby's diaper needs to be changed. And yep. it's like this, oh, I didn't realize how is it that I can see what needs to be done when you've got eyes and a brain as well? Oh, and one clarification. We well, don't give our little kids. Yeah. We don't give our little kids cell phones. Uh, the two yeah, older ones, because they're the in junior ones, high yeah. and high school, they have yeah. cell phones because there's like a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be done and we've got to go pick them up from their activities and do all the things. Yeah. So, yeah, we do give yeah. them cell phones. The older two, yeah. The younger two, no, but they still have little responsibilities. Like, Eliza, it's your job that if somebody's shoes are not on the shelf or if the, I don't know, the baby pulled shoes off the shelf, she has to do the hallway and put the shoes on the shelf or whatever. 
But, um, yeah, so the, the younger ones have little responsibilities that they're capable of doing. But um, the older ones, who you would expect more from because they, this is not their first rodeo. They've been living with me their whole entire life. We don't even have to split custody with anybody. We have them all of the time, and they still, I don't know, <laughs> they still aren't getting it. I don't know what the, the issue is. So, yeah. So that's what I'm doing tonight. So I know you guys were talking, and then um, and I heard me being mentioned, and, oh, she got on a tangent. And I'm like, you know what? Tonight's tangent could have been prevented. The whole thing could have been prevented if we just followed mom's agenda. And I do want to be reading. That's what I want to do. Yeah, but Emma there? likes to read. Oh. So that he doesn't yeah. have to do anything else, but then he doesn't do anything else the rest of the day. So, yeah, Pretty much. Yep. yeah it's so. uh, and anybody out there with teenagers probably is going through the same crap that we're going through. You know, it's just, yeah. but <laughs> it's still, it's it's it, it never ends. It never ends. Every single day, it's a constant battle with these kids to get them to do what they're supposed to do. And both Kim and I work full time, and we're yeah. trying to do. Yeah, there's nobody else up there. Um, Emmett, you can't bring me the book because yeah. I will do reading. So bring the book up to me, and then you will do what you were asked to do. Right now. And uh, also, I would love to have your. You can listen to the radio show, I suppose, but once it's finished, then I want your phone. Okay, Emmett? Okay. Okay, bring me the book. Thanks. So, yep, um, I have the things that I need done for tomorrow other than, um, you know, the lunches haven't gotten done. Actually, the dinner didn't even get done, so I was trying to give kids food when I got when I came in the door. (laughs) There's and what's really stupid about it, we can take everything away from them, them. and they'll just yep. go read a book because they like to read too. You know, like you tell them to go do, like I, we had uh, a Kindle for, uh, for Kim, and Emma stole it and was reading it instead of doing, because we took everything else away from him, so he was in the bedroom reading, so he didn't have to do something like, what, three years ago? And I was just so frustrated. I took the Kindle outside and threw it on the ground and stomped it because I'm so sick and tired of this. And it's always, it goes on and on forever and ever, and it never ends. And, they, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. I can't babysit them all the time, and I can't stay home, and neither can you. So, so there's things that have to be done. Yeah. Yep. I'm not doing everything. Hey. Oh, Lydia and Emmett are the, the other thing about teenagers. So fun, right? So uh, no matter what you tell them, they think they're going to tell each other what's going on. So. So, uh, yeah, they're, I gave them things to do, and they're like, why? Why do I have to do something? That's what Emmett's saying. <laughs> why? So. Yep. Now, can you hear me okay? I'm not sure. I switched to the headset. You can hear me on it? Okay. Awesome. 
All right. I can't hear you on here, but I think he said yes that he could hear me. So I'm going to read. And? Yeah, I can hear you. You're good. Okay. Um, also, you handed me this uh, book open. There's so many words I could start with. Oh, I don't remember you know, exactly. I think you were... Let me come up there. <laughs> okay. Um, How about I the Thomas J. Rosser? I'm almost upstairs. Hold on. Uh, I would have to see it to do it. I can't just tug it off of my memory. Very Sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah, there. 267. Awesome. Right here. Hey, thanks. Welcome. All right. So, minutes of the Bristol Conference. This comes from Millennial Star 70, page 348. I think that's volume 70. Uh, Or, yeah. Quote. The Bristol Semiannual Conference was held May 24, 1908, in the Wolseley Hall, Eastville, Bristol. There were present President Charles W. Penrose, President C.G. Jarman, and 24 traveling elders of the Bristol Conference. After singing a prayer, President Jarman gave all present a hearty welcome, expressed his appreciation at seeing so many saints and friends present from the outlying districts. Elders R.J. Walker, Thomas J. Rosser, Frank I. Hill, and John H. Bodden gave reports of their respective branches. The reports were very encouraging. End quote. From Millennial Star, volume 70, page 348. The, the quotes in here in the book are so different to read than on the on the phone because the ones in the book they're like tiny little print and so I'm like oh I have to get used to the print so I can read like I do the other print anyways continuing on in his above letter Dean Jesse referred to the wolf testimony in the smoot proceedings this leads us to the second major source explaining the authorship of the manifesto three excerpts from the interrogation of Mr. Wolf during the Reed smoot hearings follow um, hold on one second. Apparently, Arius is having a meltdown. One second. So I'm back in a good area. Um, oh, good. Sorry about that. I had to stop. It's fine. Um, I was just going to, you know, it's something that is on my mind all the time about our kids. Like the other day, uh, Kim went to the store, which is, you know, 10 minutes away or something, uh, to get something. And she told Emmett to do a specific thing just to put the fruit away. Really easy, not <laughs> hard, you know. He goes and sits down on the couch until she gets back. He doesn't do anything. Uh, yesterday, I told Lydia, you need to finish the dishes because I'm tired of this kitchen being a mess. And uh, I went out to the car to go to work, and I forgot something. So I go start the car. I come back in the house, and she's sitting on the couch with a coloring book. Coloring coloring a... Yeah. It's like, are you serious? Stop 
doing all this other crap, and I, I just want to, like, I, I seriously, I want to, like, take everything out of the basement and put their clothes there and a bed for them and just say, you can't come up here because you just make messes and your visa clean, and uh, we'll give you food in a dog bowl, and, uh, you know, we'll make sure you're fed and clothed in DI clothes or thrift store clothes and I know this is not, this program is not about that, but this is, uh, you know, what we deal with on a daily basis, and uh, it's enough for me to go bald because I'm getting, I'm so <laughs> sick and tired of it, and I don't know. We've tried rewarding them to do good things. We've tried all of these incentives. We've tried punishment. We've taken things away from them. They just yeah. don't care, and I'm seriously to the point where I want to build a shed on the back 40 and just throw them in it and say, you know what, you want to live your own life? We'll provide you food and clothing, but you're not coming in the house. You know, I mean, we won't do that, but that's just, we don't, we yeah, don't know what to do. you have to emphasize that you will not do that because people will be like, <gasps> especially like liberals, I don't know, like people will take you and to I heart and be like, they're going to do that. Context all the time. And then they yeah. like to make yeah, well, you're breaking up, but, well, yeah, our kids are way spoiled. My daughter, I can't get her out of her room all the time. I'm like, why are you in your room? Give me your phone. Give me all your electronics. I want your tablet. You know, give me the computer. The son, we're, like, taking his gaming systems. Our kids have too much stuff. It's like they have what they want, and then they don't do what we ask them to do. They, We need to, like, restrict all the privileges, and that's the frustration is how do we restrict the privileges when We've already they done that. I'm them. not taking all of the books out of my house because yeah. that's what they go to. We got a lot of books, and if we yeah. take everything else away, they'll just go read the book. Or they'll just sit on the couch and look at the wall and refuse to do what you ask them to do. Anyway, this is, this is way <laughs> off topic, and we need to get off this stupid topic because it's actually kind of pissing me off just even talking okay. about it because I'm so done with these kids not doing the things that we need them to do. So, whatever. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself. Please read. <laughs> yep. Okay, three excerpts from the interrogation of Mr. Wolf during the Reed Smoot hearings follow. Mr. Wolf, there was a meeting in the Brigham Young Academy in Provo, Utah, that was addressed by B.F. Grant, a brother of Apostle Heber J. Grant, at that meeting, Apostle John Henry Smith was present. Present, The chairman, on what day was that? What year? Mr. Wolf, I don't remember the year. It was in the late 90s probably. Mr. Carlisle, it was after the manifesto? Mr. Wolf, yes, sir. It was after the manifesto. On my way home, I walked several blocks with B.F. Grant and Apostle Smith, and on the way we were talking about the conditions existing, and, and President Smith used these words to me. Quote, Brother Wolf, don't you know that the manifesto is only a trick to beat the devil at his own game? End quote. That says 413. The chairman, was anything said to you about the manifesto being a grand thing as it enabled the church to select the people they would admit to polygamy? Mr. Wolf, such a statement has been made to me, but not by anyone who was, in, who was high in authority. In a conversation held during the Christmas holidays, with a man by the name of Wilson, Mr. Worthington, what year? Mr. Wolf, uh, 1905. He said to me that 
he wished he could go that day and see a man who had just had an heir born to him. He had married for his second wife a girl who was in Chicago two or three years ago, either as a missionary or a recent convert. And he said that this man had been married for 20 years without a son, and now he had one. He, yeah. And he rejoiced that it had been possible. I said, why, John, how about the manifesto? He said, well, Brother Wolf, manifesto enables the church to exclude men who are not good men and men who ought not to have plural wives, but it gives an opportunity for worthy men to take more wives, spoke of it as being a glorious thing, 414. Senator Overman, was there any general feeling in the church that the manifesto was a trick, as I have seen stated? Was there any such feeling in the church as that, Mr. Wolf? Now, Senator, I would have to answer you from a hearsay and not from my own knowledge. I have heard this statement made in Logan that a man once got up in the tabernacle and spoke of the manifesto as the will of the Lord in a revelation, and some of his brethren told him that he must not talk that way. Among people generally, I think that the manifesto is regarded as a simple document to tide over existing conditions. I think that is the general sentiment. Senator Overman, they do not regard the manifesto as a revelation and divine, Mr. Wolf. I think not. The same importance as the other revelations, 463. Among the many other individuals questioned during the Smoot hearings was George Reynolds, who admitted that he and two others had assisted in writing the manifesto. Mr. Worthington, you said something about helping write the manifesto. Will you explain that? Mr. Reynolds, President Woodruff wrote it in his own hand, and he was a very poor writer, worse, I believe, than Horace Greeley, and he gave it into the hands of three of the elders to prepare it for the press. I was one of those three. Mr. Worthington, who were the three? Mr. Reynolds, C.W. Penrose, John R. Winder, and myself. Mr. Worthington, what did you do? You said you helped to write the manifesto, and I want to have an understanding of what you mean by that. Mr. Reynolds, the answer came from the fact of the question coming to me whether I had read it and understood it, and I answered that I had assisted in writing it. Mr. Worthington, did you three then transcribe these notes of President Woodruff, or did you rewrite it, or what? Mr. Reynolds, we transcribed the notes and changed the language slightly to adapt for it for publication. Mr. Worthington, it contained the substance. Mr. Reynolds, yes, it contained the substance. Senator McComas, did you, in transcribing the utterance of President Woodruff, make such change of phraseology as would make it ambiguous so that it might apply to marriages subsequent and not to living with wives who had been married prior? Mr. Reynolds, no, sir. Senator McComas, it must have come to your mind when you are copying and changing the phraseology, whether this is to apply to the future and whether the past is to be expected, did it not? Mr. Reynolds, no, sir. I have told you honestly what my feelings and opinions were. Senator McComas, it did not occur to you then? Mr. Reynolds, no, sir. Senator McComas, that required years? Mr. Reynolds, yes, sir. We wrote it as we understood it. The president intended with his manuscript before us. The chairman, I do not know, but I may have misunderstood. I understood this manifesto was inspired. 
Mr. Reynolds, yes, the chairman. That is your understanding of it, Mr. Reynolds. My understanding was that it was inspired, the chairman. And when it was handed to you, it was an inspiration, as you understand, from on high, was it not? Mr. Reynolds, yes, the chairman. What business had you changing it, Mr. Reynolds? We did not change the meaning, the chairman. You have just stated you changed it, Mr. Reynolds, not the sense, sir. I didn't state we changed the sense, the chairman, but you changed the phraseology, Mr. Reynolds. We simply put it in shape for publication, corrected possibly the grammar, and wrote it so that, the chairman, you mean to say that in in an inspired communication from the Almighty, the grammar was bad, was it? You corrected the grammar of the Almighty, did you? That's end quote from the Reed Smoot hearings. Volume 2, page 52 and 53. Thus, according to the above references regarding the authorship of the manifesto, there were at least six brethren who assisted in writing it. Wilford Woodruff, Charles W. Penrose, Frank J. Cannon, John White, John R. Winder, and George Reynolds. Doesn't it seem quite amazing that so many men would be required to improve a revelation from the Lord before it could be presented to the people for a vote? No wonder the voting was not unanimous. Page 271. It was the probate intent of the church leaders that by issuing the manifesto, Utah would then be accepted as a state, and then the states could instigate their own laws and reinstate plural marriage. They called this beating the devil at his own game. However, they apparently did not count on the fact that they would not be able to select their own judges, who were appointed by the U.S. government with prior instructions as to how to interpret the laws. Then, too, Governor Heber M. Wells refused to sign Senate Bill number 4611, which provided that no prosecution for adultery shall be commenced except on complaint of the husband or wife or relative of the accused, and that no prosecutions for unlawful cohabitation shall be commenced except on complaint of the wife or alleged plural wife of the accused. That comes from Senate Journal, 1901, page 254, March 6, 1901. Governor Wells himself was a Mormon who was, uh, this comes from Senate Journal, 1901, pages 422 through 424, quote, born and reared in Utah myself, a product of the marriage system taught from infancy to regard my lineage as approved of the Almighty. But he thought that if passed, it would be welcomed and employed as a most effective weapon against the very classes whose condition it is intended to ameliorate. This bill holds out only a false hope of protection, and that in offering a phantom of relief to a few, it in reality invites a deluge of discord and disaster upon all. I am unable to prove the bill now before me. Senate Journal 1901, pages 422 through 424. Thus ended the trick to beat the devil at his own game. He used the Mormons themselves to win it for him. The bill was never again presented for passage. After the manifesto was issued, Wilford Woodruff admitted in November 1891, this comes from Way of the Master, Peterson, page 49. Quote, I know there are a good many men and probably some leading men in this church who have been tried and felt as though President Woodruff has lost the spirit of God and was about to apostatize. 
end quote from Way of the Master Peterson, page 49. We're now on page 272. The saints were divided over it then, and they are still divided. For over a hundred years, plural marriage has been the most controversial doctrine in Mormonism. It has served as an excellent test for the saints. For the Lord said, quote, be not afraid of your enemies, for I have decreed in my heart, saith the Lord, that I will prove you in all things, whether you will abide in my covenant, even unto death, that you may be found worthy For if ye will not abide in my covenant, ye are not worthy of me. That's DNC 98, um, 14 through 15. The Lord loves his martyrs, but all saints are not required to be martyrs. For he promised I, the Lord, would fight their battles and their children's battles. That comes from DNC 98, verse 37. For behold, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion, For as I said in a former commandment, even so will I fulfill. I will fight your battles. That's DNC 105, verse 14. How many times does the Lord have to tell us this before we believe him? In spite of the 1890 manifesto, the fullness of the gospel continues to be taught. The the priesthood still exists, and men and women still obey and live the principle of plural marriage. Of a truth, Woodruff declared and God Almighty decreed that the devil should not have any or have the power to thwart it. If you can understand, that is the key to it. That comes from Way of the Master, Peterson, page 52. And now we're on page 273. Plural marriages continued after the 1890 Manifesto and were performed in Mexico, Canada, and even here in the United States. These feelings were performed by such leaders as George Q. Cannon, Joseph F. Smith, John W. Keller, Anthony W. Ivins, Matthias F. Cowley, and John Henry Smith. On October 10, 1910, the Salt Lake Tribune printed a list of apostles in the church who were promoting and living pro marriage, such as Brigham Young, Jr., Abraham Cannon, George Teasdale, and Abraham O. Woodruff. Others outside the quorum were also performing these ordinances, even though this article came uh, out 20 years after the manifesto. It listed the names of over 200 known polygamists, but Brigham Young had prophesied in Journal of Discourse, Volume 2, page 184, quote, The government of the United States and all the kings of the world may go to war with us, but God will preserve a portion of the meek and humble of this people to bear off all or bear off the kingdom to the inhabitants of the earth and will defend his priesthood for it is the last time, the last gathering time. And he will not suffer the priesthood to be again driven from the earth. They may massacre men, women, and children, but the Lord will not suffer them to destroy the priesthood. And I say to the saints that if they will truly practice their religion, they will live and not be cut off. End quote. Journal of Discourse, Volume 2, page 184. And the prophet Joseph had explained The priesthood is everlasting, without beginning of days or end of years. Wherever the ordinances of the gospel are administered, there is the priesthood. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 158. Conversely, it is true that where the ordinances are not administered, the priesthood does not function. Keys of the priesthood accompany obedience to the laws, principles, and ordinances of the gospel. Now we're on page 274. The fullness of the gospel is still alive, seriously wounded, but it does survive. It has been splintered, and splinters have splinters who disagree over who has the most authority or the most keys or keys at all. That was me. I just added keys at all. But a few righteous saints will defend the restored gospel. 
and it is eternal priesthood laws that, as given to Joseph Smith, scattered through, scattered though they may be. There are many references to the eternal nature of the priesthood, but none to the everlasting nature of the church. The church cannot function as it should without the priesthood and its laws, but the priesthood can function independently of the church. If this were not the case, how do you explain the fact that Joseph Smith and many others lived the priesthood law of plural marriage without the approval or knowledge of the church? Why did many leaders and hundreds of saints live plural marriage after the manifesto without the consent of the church? No eternal principle revealed in this dispensation has been or will be revoked. Those desiring the blessings of Abraham must do the works of Abraham. And if we do not live the laws of Abraham, we cannot go where Abraham is. In Millennial Star, volume 14, page 595, quote, We would ask, for what is the priesthood given unto man? It is that they may have a right to administer the law of God. Have they then the right to make void that law? Verily, no. None can revoke the decree but him by whom it was given. Neither can the laws of God be trampled upon with impunity or revoked by a lesser power than that by which they were framed. End quote. From Millennial Star, volume 14, page 595. How could a document written by a man, a manifesto, eliminate a principle ordained by God, plural marriage? How could the words of an earthly compromise negate the words of God as expressed by the first four church presidents in this dispensation? Page 275, Joseph Smith, God commanded me to obey it. He said to me that unless I accepted it and introduced it and practiced it, I together with my people would be damned and cut off from this time henceforth. But we have got to observe it. It is an eternal principle and was given by way of commandment and not by way of instruction. Contributor, volume 5, page 259. Joseph Smith to William Clayton, the doctrine of plural marriage, plural and celestial marriage, is the most holy and important doctrine ever revealed to man on the earth, and that without obedience to that principle, no man can ever attain to the fullness of exaltation in celestial glory, end quote. That's from Historical Records, volume 6, page 226. Brigham Young, the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Others attain unto a glory and may even be permitted to come into the presence of the Father and the Son, but they cannot reign as kings in glory because they had blessings offered unto them, and they refused to accept them. Journal of Discourse, Volume 11, page 269. Brigham Young, Now if any of you will deny the plurality of wives and continue to do so, I promise that you will be damned. Journal of Discourse, Volume 3, page 266. John Taylor, we have been taught and consciously believe that plural marriage is as much a part of our religion as faith, repentance, and baptism. That comes from Life of John Taylor, B.H. Roberts, pages 357 and 358. John Taylor again. If we do not embrace that plural, that principle, the patriarchal order of marriage, soon the keys will be turned against us. If we do not keep that, the same law that our Heavenly Father has kept, we cannot go with him, a man obeying a lower law is not qualified to preside over those who keep a higher law. Wilford Woodruff, History of His Life and Labors, Matthias Cowley, page 542. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what you're thinking about all this because you haven't said anything in a little bit, but it kind of drives me a little bit insane. I'm going to tell you exactly why, okay? Because Joseph Smith has no other 
descendants from any other woman other than his wife, Emma. He did not have kids yeah. by anybody else. And so that kind of drives yep. me nuts. And then the quotes that are coming supposedly from him are not actually it, it's like a third-party quote, which is like a hearsay, yep. and when was that even published? Was that published, like, after he was dead? And then it does say, and it was said um, by Joseph Smith that, uh, or God said, that the church would be corrupt by the seventh president. And so them giving reference yeah, well, to all these other presidents. Yeah, and Brigham, Brigham you know, everybody, that. right, and didn't Joseph Smith say the only thing that Brigham Young aired in was that, was the plural marriage thing that he was doing because he, the way that he lived it, he like loved all his wife or he had a lot of wives. I can't remember what that quote is. So I shouldn't, that would be hearsay. No, (laughs) no, he didn't say that. I said that. And and so, okay. I believe that Joseph intended to live plural celestial marriage and the sealing ordinances of men to one man, but he did not want to live it. So he did the bare minimum. That's why they have by any other people. And we know that Emma got pregnant plenty of times by Joseph Smith. So he can have kids, but have them with any of these other people because he was sealed to, well, both men and women through things that people don't even understand at all anymore, which is plural celestial marriage and the law of adoption. Um, but I know that polygamy is something that is given in the Torah and that it was lived before the Torah was restored, which Moses restored that, those laws, which were given at an earlier time. Um, but the only thing, so I've been biting my tongue this whole time and I wanted to say something, and I wanted to wait till you were done with the reading, but since you brought it up, I'll just talk about it a little bit. So I study a lot, and I've been studying a lot for many, 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 many years. And I have questions, and I have had questions. And as I ask God, he gives me answers. And sometimes he gives me really big answers and then I get a whole bunch that I didn't even ask about in these these great big old visions that God has given me in the past where he's taken me up in the spirit and then out of body type of thing and I'm taken up and I'm shown a whole bunch of stuff and one of these things I was shown that is when uh, in order to understand plural celestial marriage and the sealing ordinances you have to understand the creation of the spirit and how when the intelligence was in the beginning it is eternal but when it becomes self-aware the feminine and the masculine energies separate and you have a masculine and a feminine spirit and I was taught by God himself that in order for the the um, those spirits to have eternal life again a masculine and a feminine have to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise so that they can retain that eternal life that they had before they were spirits and before there was a separation of the masculine and the feminine. So God allows that to happen with this thing called the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise. However, because the war in heaven happened and there were many more elect to qualify for eternal lives, 
that we're feminine, God allows plural celestial marriage so that many feminine can be filled to one masculine, so that they can attain unto the eternal lives that only can be attained by having a man and a woman filled together so that the feminine and the masculine can be together in a sealed state as they were before they were in, uh, when they were in the intelligent form. So I understand that God um, allows plural celestial marriage because of a necessity. But I know that, Brigham, or that Joseph Smith didn't want to live it. But Brigham Young, he did something called multiplying wives, which was wrong. Anyway, I'm on wash plants, so I'm going to break up, but you can go ahead and say something if you'd like. Oh, I was uh, agreeing with all the things that you were saying. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. Um, so I have not researched as much as you have, um, but I have done research. Uh uh, honestly, so one of the things with me, and it's one of my, it's difficult. So um, with discernment, um, I have discernment. And with the way that it works, sometimes it's frustrating to me because, um, you know, mid-sentence or even like what we're reading right now, I can tell, that, you know, that it is not correct. Or, and it's hard because, um you know, you could be listening to this this program, and then I'll give you my opinion on it. My opinion has a lot to do with the discernment that I have. And um, so it's something that you can just take it for what I'm saying, but you need to get revelation on your own. Um, I just know how it is for me. So um, anyways, um, it's hard for me because when you're reading these things and people uh, attain this this stuff as truth or doctrine and to me i'm like you know what that's not actual doctrine um doctrine well, there's is a lot that... of things that brigham young did a lot of things that he ought not to have done he yeah, turned true. something that was a celestial uh thing which is plural celestial marriage into a carnal power trip and in order to justify uh, what they were doing, they had to have Joseph Smith saying all these things, and they invented these lies. I mean, not all of them are lies, but there are plenty of lies strewn throughout the history of the church about how Joseph Smith said something he never said. And it's disheartening to me because, um, you know, if you don't have the power of discernment, you read all this stuff, and you're, you don't know what to do with it, and it's sad. You know, and then these other people that don't have discernment, then they read, uh, you know, all these other things. I'll read, like, a quote that's trying to, like, support polygamy through Joseph Smith. And then uh, they don't believe it because it's not true, and they have the power of discernment. But then they don't understand it, and then they throw the whole thing out. And then they, or they'll have, they don't have the power of discernment, and then they'll read all this other crap. And there's so many lies. So the prophet Joseph Smith is one of the most important prophets of all the dispensations through all of the history of this earth, after Joseph Smith. The reason for that is because in order for Zion to be redeemed, God has to give the people 
celestial laws so that they can live the things that are required for Zion to be redeemed. And God gave it to Joseph Smith, and the devil wants to do everything that he can to destroy the opportunity for the people to redeem Zion so that he can win the battle. And so you've got lies and lies and lies. Some person responded to something on TikTok that I said today, and they were talking about how Joseph Smith was accused in the WASP of 18, uh, July of 1842, I think it was, of uh, homosexual, bisexual type things. Uh, you know what? The devil's throwing out all kinds of lies. One thing I know is that when I asked God if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, God gave me a powerful testimony and witness of the truth and the reality of his him being the Lord's anointed. And all of this other crap that people throw, uh, throw at Joseph or throw him under the bus, whatever, it's just crap. And whether or not he did it or whether he didn't do it, I don't care. He was God's prophet. He was not perfect, but there were many lies, and there have been many lies, about his character and who he was and what he did. But I, uh, getting back to the polygamy issue, I know by revelation, not just believe, but know by revelation through the gift of the visions that God has given me, the reason for plural celestial marriage, and I know that Joseph Smith understood those things too. And it was more important. It wasn't about sexual union or having a bunch of kids or anything like that. It has to do with the sealing ordinances. Now, these people uh, that he was sealed to, they, you know, they, um, he could have lived with them. And it would have been right and fine for him to live with them and to have children by them. But the fact of the matter is the LDS church has tried to find the DNA to the people who claim to be descendants of Joseph Smith, and they cannot find them because they do not exist. He didn't want to live it. I don't believe he wanted to live it, but he understood the principle, and he did the bare minimum, which was being sealed to people, not conjugating and doing all that stuff, which is not required for the sealing ordinance. So, anyway... um, I am at the rail yard, and I've got to dump this coal on the grid. So I'm going to mute myself and let you continue talking. Okay, and really quickly, without I know you are going to have to go, but um, I just wanted to say I'm not disagreeing with the whole plural marriage thing. Okay, I'm not I'm not disagreeing that that's not a a thing. Okay, I'm just saying like the the quotes and the way that these men are. <laughs> I just don't agree with the way that this is being taught, I suppose. Like, you need to personally get revelation for yourself if whether or not that is a principle that you are supposed to keep, that God wants you to do, and not just, yeah. you know, take it upon your own and hands you to, to do that. You have to get personal revelation. So, but what these men did yeah. was they made up stories to justify their actions so yeah. that they could live it and their lives. And anytime somebody lies about about something, they're, not, on God, they're yeah. not, 
Yeah, because when people do have discernment, they realize that these lies are being told and they don't know what to think about it if they're not uh, a mature in, in these gifts. You know, and then they See, want to throw the whole thing yeah. out. And it's a lie, and lies destroy. Right, that's what happens. It gets thrown out because of the lie. Where um, it should have been like a case-by-case basis. Um, so one of the things um, that I think about when I think about polygamy is, that's great. Like, go get married to 30 women. But if you're not going to heaven, if you're not going to be exalted, if you don't have your calling and election nature, why are you feeling all these women to you to be damned well, in your state that you're in? There's another like, thing, too. Yeah. It's plural marriage and celestial marriage are two different things. Right, yeah. And I wish Sorry, I could I know talk that about this, this is a more. Whole, I know. I've given you, have you to go. plenty of warnings, <laughs> but I have to get out of the class. I know. All I right. wasn't trying I to, like, yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, and that's fine. You can just listen. I just wanted to make sure that the listening audience wasn't thinking that we are on two different pages about plural marriage. Um, if God told me that that's something that I was required and needed to live, that he saw higher blessings for me in using that principle, um, then, okay, then we'll see how that goes and figure it out. But um, if I am not called to live it from him, um, and I know other people will be like, well, you are called because they were called back then and that law was never rescinded. Um, however, that was um, something that Joseph Smith had gotten. You only live and these it's laws unclear. if you get revelation, you don't yeah. live it just because somebody wrote it in a book. Right. And, and now it's, I got to get sketchy. out of the truck. Yeah, stop it. Get out of the truck. <laughs> It's sketchy. So, um, and and it, everybody, there are people who aren't ready. It's like giving these people who are not drawn from the milk, <laughs> and they they're not ready for any kind of meat. They're not ready for that kind of thing. It, it would destroy rather than um, bless. So, yeah, I mean, but we do have the same um, stance on it. So I'm not. I am not against it. I'm not saying that I'm against it. Do we live it right now? Not really because um, we haven't, the two of us um, haven't gotten revelation for our family as to bringing in another wife. So we do not live that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I guess that's all I'll say on it. Just that um, sometimes people can read me wrong if I'm not clear about what I'm meaning. So let me continue on with the rest of these Quotes. This is from John Taylor um, from Deseret Evening News, April 23rd, 1885. Quote, what would be necessary to bring about the result nearest the hearts of the opponents of Mormonism, more properly termed the gospel of the Son of God? Simply to renounce, abrogate, or apostatize from the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in its fullness. Were the church to do that as an entirety, God would reject the saints as a body. The authority of the priesthood would be withdrawn with its gifts and powers, and there would be no more heavenly recognition of the ministrations among the people. The heavens would permanently withdraw themselves, and the Lord would raise up another people of greater valor and stability. End quote. Desiree Evening News, April 23rd, 1885. Man, I don't have very much longer until I get um, all done with what we're reading tonight, but I've got to say one more thing because I was thinking about this earlier. Um, 
the other thing about that was um, this uh, apostasy. So if you're looking at DNC and, and we're reading about it and saying, um, you know, looking at what God said, if you do these things, then I will fight your battles for you. I will not remove you from your place. Um, and, you know, he states what will happen if the saints, when Joseph was alive, um, if the saints would have built the temple whereby the Most High would come and, re- and um, restore that which was lost unto the people. Anyways, um, if you read that for what it is, the, the saints were already rejected with their dead because they were removed from their place. And a lot of people died moving out west. So even when the, it splintered off and the Brighamites ended up coming um, out to Utah, um, and over the Rocky Mountains, um, they were already a cursed people. So now here it is, John Taylor, which, uh, you know, they said it would be cursed by the seventh president. So uh, no surprise here that it's saying that if they stop living plural marriage, they're going to be rejected again. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Even from this stance, it's like, well, you're rejected already, and then oh, you're rejected, rejected again. Right. <laughs> So, There's layers um, yeah. of cursings and layers of rejection, and the rejection that they received in Nauvoo was having mm-hmm. the ability to have continuing prophets as far as being the Lord's anointed, and they uh, lost the ability to receive the fullness of the priesthood, which can only be given by God. That's what was rejected. Yep. So, Okay. That, and I was thinking about that earlier with the rejection, even before all of these men were, you know, they were quoting all of these men. Anyways, it's it's kind of contingent on how much uh, research you do, what you um, know about history and about the words that were, have already been spoken from God. Okay, anyways, Wilford Woodruff, the reason why the church and kingdom of God cannot advance without the patriarchal order of marriage is that it belongs to this dispensation just as a baptism for the dead does, or any law or ordinance that belongs to a dispensation. Without it, without the church, or I'm sorry, without it, the church cannot progress. The leading men in Israel who are presiding over stakes will have to obey the law of Abraham, or they will have to resign. That's from Wilford Woodruff Cowley, page 542. Just prior to the manifesto, there were comparatively few saints who were living plural marriage. So did the Lord allow the manifesto to be issued for the church because not enough of the members were living it? In December 1891, in their amnesty petition to the President of the United States, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve admitted that the Lord did not force them to give up plural marriage. That's kind of funny. So they think that... Did the Lord allow the manifesto to be issued for the church because they weren't living the law? So God was like, oh, that's okay. Let's give them a different law because they decided not to do that. No, probably not. Anyways, yeah, I guess God on. isn't the same yesterday, <laughs> today, and forever. And eternal laws, maybe they're not eternal. And God is a liar. I mean, um, in their kidding. minds, that's the logical conclusion of these ignorant people that think that they can lie to beat the devil at his own game. Oh, we'll just, we'll just keep on lying and we'll just keep on being disobedient to what God has asked, you know, and it, it'll be okay. Isn't in the Book of Mormon where do a little bit, uh, send a little bit, you know, uh, 
lie about your brother a little bit. It'll be all well. Mm-hmm. God will beat us up with his tribes, and we shall be saved in the kingdom of our God. I don't know if people realize this or not, but if you're a believing Latter-day Saint, whether you're a fundamentalist or whether you're a Brighamite or a Strangite or whatever you are, um, the Book of Mormon was written to us in our day. And it's not talking about Gentiles who are not believers in the Restoration. You turn that book back on yourself because it is a stern warning to the disgusting. Or did you just why are you Emma? Uh, I'm saying that the end of the radio. Show. What is he doing? Are you there? Um, he just his headset just died. Okay, well we're not two hours past the program, so why is he trying to end the program? He didn't mean to. His headset died, and he is calling it's back still in going. right now. Yeah. Okay, well, tell it him. It was just a, yeah. Oh, he actually okay. just walked into the, yeah, it's okay. So, no worries. Okay, he did it. realize right when it happened, and he was like, oh, no, and so he's trying to call back in. Okay, well, yeah. That's why he's supposed to not be playing with his headset and let it charge so that it can be... He doesn't have a headset so that he can go listen to videos all day. He has a headset to do the radio show. If he's not going to use it for that, then I'll take it away from him. So, anyway. Yeah, Lydia and I had that same conversation about her phone, and I actually have her phone now. Because she was like, my phone died. That's why I didn't answer. And I was like... Your phone is supposed to be yeah, so that Olivia I can get a hold of you. She <laughs> answers. So this is this is the twelve year old. She has realized that if she answers the phone, that we're going to ask her to do something. So instead of answering the phone, she just ignores it. And we'll call her from the other room or whatever, and you can hear the dang thing ringing. And then she just ignores it. And then you're like, "Why didn't you answer your phone?" Oh, I didn't hear it. You were standing right next to it, and it was ringing. So, like, if you're not going to use the phone, if we're not going to be able to use the phone for what we need to use it for, then you're not going to have it. Because, uh, you know, if, if we've got to get down to, like, hey, did you do the goats? Did you feed the chickens? Did you get the eggs? Did you throw the hay? Or whatever. Like, that's why we have the phone. And, the, well, another thing, too, like, like I said, Olivia does softball and basketball and what other sports does she do? Like, she's always going, doing some. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, she throws that shot put because she's got man hands. I always tease her. Anyway, but um, so she's got all these activities, so she needs to be able to get a hold of us. You know, Emma has robotics, and uh, he's a future farmer of America. Right, whatever it is, he needs to be able to get a hold of us. We need to be able to get a hold of them. That's why they have the phone. But if they're not going to use the phone for what we give it to them for, then they're going to lose it. So anyway, let's not go down this freaking transit. Trans- what is it called? Tangent. Again. It's a tangent, yeah. <laughs> you just get me started. I'm so irritated at these kids. Oh, it's just I, because I the headset died, know. and that was... Yeah, maybe it's just Lucifer trying to distract. 
So let's go ahead. I, you know, his headset just died, and that's what brought about this tangent. Oh, sorry, Satan. Hasatan. Okay, I will continue. I'm almost done. We're okay. doing great. You're doing a great job. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. It's the last 10 seconds. You're almost I know done. it is. We're, like, almost done. And about 40 years later, the first presidency, Grant Ivins and Clark said about the same thing. In the message of the first presidency, volume 5, page 322, quote, the church pledged itself by its presidency, by its members and general conference assembled, and by its support of the state, of, state constitu, constitution to discontinue the practice of polygamous or plural marriage. Thus, our people sacredly covenanted with the government of the United States that they would obey the civil laws. End quote. Message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 322. But even today, people are free to choose what they want to believe. In 1886, Revelation, the Lord said... Quote, it is more pleasing to me than uh, me that men, men should use their free agency in regard to these matters, end quote. And they have. The saints can find justification for either accepting or rejecting the flaw of the priesthood. They alone will determine which way the keys will turn in their behalf. Joseph Smith said, the devil has no power over us only as we permit him. That comes from teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 181. And Spencer W. Kimball related this truthful gem. In Miracle of Forgiveness, page 215, he, the devil, seems to have no keys for locked doors. But if the door is slightly ajar, he gets his toe in. And soon this is followed by his foot, then by his leg and his body and head. And finally, he is in all the way. End quote. Miracle of Forgiveness, page 215. (laughs) Yes. This process pretty well summarizes what has happened beginning in 1890 with the issuing of the manifesto. And now we have come to the end. Next time we will be reading from persecuted to persecutors, which is a really great section to uh, begin on tomorrow. I'm actually, um, when we were reading all of the different subheadings for this one, uh, you know, for the different categories, categories that we're reading of, um, that was uh, really one of the one that I wanted to look at because that, I bet we have a lot of uh, tangents on that one. (laughs) Well, if they talk anything about what happened in Shark Creek because of the governor of Arizona who was a Mormon and the, the combined crap that the LDS church did or the fact that they used to like sit outside of, of people's meetings and collect their license plates and have the police department, which is Ill- illegal, run the, the license plates to the people who were there so they could excommunicate them. You know what? I, I hate the church. I used to love it. I hate it. I could never be a member of that organization again, knowing the things that they did to fundamentalist families, which resulted in the death and the misery of many, many, many people. So... I'd like to say the F word, the Mormon church, but I won't say it. But you know what I want to say? But uh, I hate them. I hate them. I hate their lies, and I hate their deceptions, and I hate their gaslighting, and I hate their, uh, their money, uh, and their, their wanting to do the things that they do, and the fact that they refuse to live the laws of God, which I know are true laws. These people, I know that there's good ones. I know that there's good ones. 
but this organization has become a cult. And um, and there's plenty of people that understand that. A lot of ex-Mormons can see right through the reading. They understand it's a cult. People who are in it don't understand that it's a cult. And if there's anything that I could, like, get through to the people, I assumed that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was God's true and living church upon the face of the earth, despite the fact that they hadn't had any thus saith the Lord revelations or visions or anything else like that. And over a hundred years, I assumed it because I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And so I assumed that the LDS church was true. And it is not true. A lot of people it is a do that. Lie. And, and, and in the Book of Mormon, it says in the last days that every single one would be out of order uh, uh, nevertheless, even the humble followers of Christ, but many times they err in doctrine because they are taught by the precepts of men. And I listened to Hiram Anders and a bunch of his talks, precepts of men, and he understood some things. Some things that I understand by revelation. I never heard anybody say some of the stuff that he was saying on some of these videos. So he was, I believe he was getting revelation about some things, but he mingles it with, with the doctrines of men, his own ideas, and he teaches them as fact, and ignorant, dumbed-down idiots, I'm sorry if, if whatever, I, maybe I'm not sorry, but um, they just, oh, he knows so much. People don't know who Hiram Anders is anymore, but he was a BYU professor, and he wrote a lot of really good books, and I really enjoy them, but just because somebody says it with his authority doesn't mean it's true. And you need to stop trusting in the arm of flesh and get revelation for yourself so you can know what the truth is without having to, well, so-and-so said it. Well, Rusty M. Nelson said that the vaccines are okay, even though that's what the globalists want to use to depopulate the earth because they're scared of global warming, even though that's all, all a big lie uh, to get population control, uh, the control of the population your population control. Anyway. Karen? Okay. Yep. Uh, can you check or have Emmett check to see if there's anybody in the studio? Okay, Any Emmett, questions can you check there? to see if anybody's in the studio, please? The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. First uh, Green Kings 9.3, it says, And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, he's talking to Solomon, which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there forever. Uh, hello? 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 Um, hello? Uh, Emmett, come here. Why is Emmett trying to play video clips? You're playing video clips. I know you don't know that. You need to be listening. Don't click those things on the side. Yeah, try to be careful. There's nobody on. Okay, well, that's fine. Um, I think we'll just end the program for tonight, and then we'll see what it is that we can read tomorrow. We might be able to finish. I don't know. Um yeah. The way I read, so, heck yeah, I can do it. Let's do this. 
<laughs> yeah, but you're going to be, like, worn out because... I know, I keep staying up really late. I don't have everything done. The kids aren't getting their things done. It's getting rough, man. But it's like, you know, the first week, it's kind of rough. Yeah, but the, the littles are excited to go to school. Oh, so. they're so excited. So excited. They're going to love they it. They love it. Yep. But yeah, we have to, class know, has a ton of girls in it. I know it does. It has a ton of girls in uh, it, which is no, a good thing. I just realized <laughs> Amberly's boyfriend that she loves so much is not going to be in this new school. <laughs> Oh, she's a little too boy crazy. It's a good thing we moved her. She's six, and she has this boy that she thinks is her boyfriend, and she's so cute, and she's so silly, but um, we're moving her from the district that we live in so that she can be with Kim for reasons we're not going to talk about right now, Uh, just basically because it's easier for us as a family. And yeah, uh, so I think it'll easier. be good. It's really good program. The school that uh, they're going to is um, it's the best one in the district. So anyway, so we're happy about that. But yeah, all right. Well, uh, we'll end the program right now, and uh, we'll be back on tomorrow at 8 p.m. for part three of chapter 15 of Holy Priesthood, volume six, from persecuted to persecutors. And um, I'm going to have to bite my tongue completely off tomorrow because I know I'm going to go on a screaming about all the stuff because I get so angry at what the church has done that most of the members don't even know about. Because who gives a rest behind (laughs) (laughs) about about fundamentalists? Well, whatever. If you think that... I don't even know what to tell you. Anyway, I'm just going to leave it at that. So thank you for reading, Kim, and thank you for helping out, Emmett, and reading. You're welcome. And we'll be back on tomorrow. I was just going to say, you know what I just realized today, tonight? It's so exciting. I want everybody to know. My little girls are going to start school in the morning, and I get to be part of that this year. I get to be there and take all their little pictures I get to bring them to school, and I get to be part of it. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. I did that I last year because you were working, and you were sad last year because you couldn't do it. Yes, I'm so excited. That's awesome. I'm like, yay, I get to be part of the whole thing this year. Oh, I just realized that because I've been so busy, you know, like with all the school stuff, but I haven't really – you know, just taking it all in, like, oh, my goodness, it's tomorrow. They're going to have, yay, it's like, you know, um, it's like Hanukkah, or, well, everybody would say Christmas. It's like the night before the holiday where you're just like, yay, everything's hey, all set and done and ready. <laughs> as soon as oh, you're yeah. done talking about yep. your thing, I am going in the dip. So no, we can be music, all done. Whatever it is. Yes, good night, everybody. Thank you for listening and being there with us and learning with us. We appreciate you. This is going to be amazing. Have a good night. (laughs) God bless and good night. What they said. Emmett, cue the music.